Hello, and welcome back to the Politics Unbox podcast and our retrospectives on the year. If you've missed out on the first part from January to March, then do have a look back on the Politics Unbox podcast wherever you're listening to this, and you'll be able to hear my thoughts on how the year went for those months. But for now, let me welcome you to part two of the Politics Unbox podcast retrospective series. And this time, it's going to go from April all the way through to June. So, without any further ado, let's hand you over. Well, 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 we've made it through to April. And it's time to start this episode properly, because you don't want to hear my crappy little intros, you want to hear what actually happened over the course of the year. So, let's jump straight into the first month in episode two, April. Yet another month passes in the year, although I guess that's rather the point of a retrospective, and the stories don't get any less congested. The war in Ukraine continues on. There's trouble on the home front for the Prime Minister. Yep, at this point, still Boris Johnson. And don't even get me started about France, which threw itself into a maelstrom of epic proportions over their presidential election. But without too much of an introduction, let's get this show on the road. April the 4th. The entire Sri Lankan cabinet resigns, except for the Prime Minister and President. Mahinda and Gotabaya Rajapaksa, respectively. The Sri Lankan government had done the strain for weeks, but this appeared to be the tipping point after mass protests in the streets, including the storming of the presidential mansion. There were even people swimming in his pool. Earlier on in the month, the president had tried to form a national unity government, but to no avail. April the 5th. We're going really cheerful here, but on this day, President Zelensky went to the UN via live video feed to accuse the Russian state of committing war crimes in their invasion of Ukraine. By this point, we've already seen the video footage of some of these allegations, which included a tank driving over a civilian car, and for the sake of not having to slap an explicit content warning on this episode, I won't be talking about any more of the allegations. Russia, naturally, denied the allegations and stopped any UN votes on the matter. Also on this day, Barack Obama returned to the White House for the first time since leaving office in 2017, giving Americans across the nation a feeling that they have a president again. Sorry, Joe Biden fans, that was a bit harsh, but in the comparison of both speeches and stature, even just on that day, it really felt like Biden was back being vice president. April 7th. The U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson was confirmed by the Senate as an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court by 53 votes to 47. Justice Stephen Breyer had previously, well in March, so whoopsies for missing that one, announced he would step down as an Associate Justice at the end of the 2021-22 term on the Supreme Court. Ms. Jackson is the first black woman both nominated to and subsequently confirmed onto the Supreme Court of the United States. Three Republicans, Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and Mitt Romney of Utah, voted to confirm her nomination. 
April the 7th as well, but this time in the UK, as the UK government's plan to introduce photo ID for elections was rejected in the House of Lords. As well as that, a government's new energy strategy was published, and whilst it was seemingly a step in the right direction, with eight new nuclear reactors and going 95% low-carbon energy by 2030, still seems a little... soft. Let's get on to that maelstrom, shall we? April the 10th, France heads to the polls to choose their next president. After a sea of candidates fight for the chance to be the president of France, Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen rise to the top. Some would say, like the proverbial cream. Others would probably use a four-letter word. Maybe not in French, though. In French, that word's a bit longer. With the lowest voter turnout since 1969, it became a runoff of five years ago, in two weeks' time, to seal the fate of the presidency. In other news, Parti Socialiste, or the Socialist Party, if you hadn't already guessed, were all but confirmed dead on arrival in that election, after La France Insoumise, led by Corbyn-like figure Jean-Luc Mélenchon, swept to third place, owning the left wing of France, for the time being. But hey, at least Reconquête didn't make it to the final two. April 11th. Shabazz Sharif becomes the new Prime Minister of Pakistan after the ousting of previous Prime Minister Imran Khan. Khan had tried to dissolve Parliament and call an early election, but the Supreme Court of Pakistan ruled it unconstitutional. Khan has alleged there is a US-led conspiracy to overthrow him, but really? A United States-led plot to overthrow a democratically elected leader? Never. April the 12th. TUC boss, that's Trades Unions Congress, Frances O'Grady, confirms she will retire from her role at the end of the year. Long-standing General Secretary of the TUC, O'Grady rose to prominence, really, during the EU referendum debate, coming out into the open as part of the London Decides debate, which saw three Remainers and three Brexiteers on a stage together. In a year, soon to be at least, dominated by union noises, Perhaps her quiet demeanour no longer chimes with the prevailing voice of unionism. Also on April the 10th, or rather April the 12th, Boris Johnson confirms he has received a fixed penalty notice from the Metropolitan Police for his actions during the COVID-19 lockdowns as part of a retrospective investigation. His wife, Carrie, as well as the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, are also confirmed to have received such notices for their activities. None of the notices were challenged by any of their recipients. April the 13th. After a phone call with President Zelensky, President Biden announces a further $800 million in security assistance to Ukraine. April the 15th. Palestinians and Israeli security services clash at the Al-Aqsa Mosque after rising tensions. Just six days earlier, a gunman in Tel Aviv had killed three and wounding others. The Palestinian Red Cross claimed 152 people required treatment after this latest clash, which occurred in the holy month of Ramadan. According to Israeli reports, Palestinians triggered the conflict by throwing firecrackers and stones at the Western Wall, which is sacred in Judaism. April 21st. The first motion in the House of Commons on whether the Prime Minister misled the House over Partygate reaches the floor of the Commons. Boris Johnson survives unscathed. April 24th. Just 17 days after its first rejection in the House of Lords, the Elections Act 2022 receives royal assent. This introduces photo voter ID for in-person voting in the UK for the first time ever. 
These restrictions apply in the UK general elections, English local elections and police and crime commissioners elections in England and Wales. Also on this day, Emmanuel Macron becomes the first president in 20 years to successfully get themselves re-elected in France, beating Marine Le Pen 59% to 41% in the runoff. Coincidentally, the last time a French president was successfully re-elected, it was also at the expense of Le Pen. It was Jacques Chirac winning back in 2002 against Marine's father, Jean-Marie Le Pen. April 27th. Chris Heaton-Harris, the then Tory chief whip, has the unenviable task of beginning an investigation into a member of the House of Commons for watching pornography in the Commons chamber. April 29th, Tory MP Neil Parrish is suspended from the party after he was revealed as the parliamentary purveyor of porn. April 30th, a day after his name was revealed in connection to this, Neil Parrish, by then the independent member of parliament for Tiverton and Honiton, admitted to watching pornography on two separate occasions in the House of Commons and says he will resign. The first time he watched porn, he claimed it was an accident after trying to search for a tractor. But the second time, he admitted to doing it deliberately. May. Well, if you thought April was politically charged, you ain't seen nothing yet, particularly in relation to America. 2022 hasn't really even begun for the nation across the Atlantic from where I sit here recording now, and May is about to see some pretty fiery opinions hit the press. But not to think that America's having all the fun. Oh, no, 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 no. A local election year in the UK normally means a kicking for the government, and May duly obliged. But not to be outdone, Northern Ireland chimes in during this month with an electoral first as well. We've also got the full Sue Gray report to dissect and a new ministerial code to start breaching. So let's get to it. May the 2nd. Wow, what a way to start the month. Politico got their hands on an explosive new draft of a decision in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, allegedly circulated around US Supreme Court justices in February of 2022. It claimed that, in an opinion written by Justice Alito, Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh and Barrett would create a five-justice voting bloc to strike down Roe v. Wade, something that they had all called settled law and under the principles of stare decisis in their confirmation hearings, and thereby overturn what has been seen as the federal right to an abortion. But the draft went further, calling Roe's decision egregiously wrong from the start. According to CNN, the Chief Justice, John Roberts, was against overturning Roe, but wouldn't strike down the particular law at issue in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization decision. This led to a string of protests and counter-protests during the month, and a turbulent time for the US Supreme Court, especially after, on May the 3rd, the Supreme Court confirmed the authenticity of the leak. May the 5th, 2022 local elections in the UK. The Conservative Party are nearly decimated, down nearly 500 seats net, and losing the London boroughs of Barnet, Wandsworth and Westminster, about as blue wall as London councils get, Questions are asked of party leadership, and the Conservative chair resigns. Wales also sees some Tory bashing, with Labour gaining two councils, Ply Cymru three, 
all at the expense of the Welsh Conservatives on one occasion and independence twice. A couple of councils shifting into no overall control. Also on this day, Sinn Féin came out on top in the Northern Irish Assembly elections, but only in vote share, so you'll have to wait another three days for the full seat breakdown of the Stormont elections. May the 8th. Oh, would you look at that? A retrospective can time travel. But on May the 8th, Sinn Féin, for the first in Northern Ireland's history, is declared the largest party in Northern Ireland, with 27 of Stormont's 80 seats. The Democratic Unionist Party are second with 25, but for the first time in a century-long history of Northern Ireland, it means that a Unionist Party does not occupy the post of First Minister-designate. Nationalists also won more votes than Unionists for the first time in this election. May the 10th. The state opening of Parliament is conducted by the Prince of Wales alongside the Duke of Cambridge, with the traditional Queen's speech, marking the first time an heir apparent has opened Parliament since the Prince Regent, George, the future George IV, did so on behalf of his father, George III. May 17th. Foreign Secretary Liz Truss announces her plans to unilaterally abandon parts of the Northern Ireland Protocol if the EU do not grant concessions under powers through Article 16. This is greeted with uproar across the Channel and some degree of consternation on her own back benches. I wonder if that'll become a theme. May 19th. After a trilateral meeting, Presidents Biden and Sauli Ninisto of America and Finland respectively, as well as Swedish Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson, appear at a joint press conference just a day after those European nations submitted their requests for NATO membership. This is seen as a badge of approval by a key NATO member, and NATO looks set to be expanding in the near future. May 24th. 19 children and two adults were murdered with a further 18 injured in the city of Uvalde, Texas, at Robb Elementary School. May 25th. Finally, the long-awaited Partygate Sue Gray report is released. Over 37 pages, the civil servant systematically dismantles the culture in Downing Street, concluding that Downing Street officials, both political and non-political, bear responsibility for what happened during lockdown. May 26th. Almost as if by magic, a day after a bad story for the government, Rishi Sunak steps up at a press conference and on the floor of the House of Commons to announce £15 billion worth of energy relief, partly offset by a 25% windfall tax on the profits of oil and gas firms. UK households will get £400 off their energy bills in October, whilst the poorest households will get an additional £650 in order to ease living costs. May 27th. A new ministerial code is published which removes the need for ministers to resign if they breach the code. It's almost as if the code is only as good as the person who gets to enforce it. And that is the Prime Minister. It just struck me that in the uh, last episode of these retrospectives, at the end of each month I would sort of sit back and, and do a a little bit of a review into how the month went, but I haven't done that for, for April, so I'm going to do April and May together. Um, shifting sands politically, really, you can certainly say for, for April and for May, both 
incredibly volatile months in terms of public opinion. Uh, we've seen a number of, of scandals hitting the front pages. Neil Parrish um, watching porn in the House of Commons. Uh, complaints made by Conservative members of Parliament, female Conservative members of Parliament to the Chief Whip, finally meaning that he's expelled from the party. Uh, it's sort of the, the thing that you would think, no, that can't happen, never. Also in that month of April, you saw Boris Johnson becoming the first Prime Minister, well, the first serving Prime Minister, to be officially reprimanded by a law enforcement agency and officially told you've broken the law whilst in office with that receipt of a fixed penalty notice. It really is very significant. I mean, people can have opinions of Boris Johnson all they like, and people certainly do. Um, but that is a documentable first for um, for a Prime Minister to actually be not just slapped on the wrist and told you're a naughty boy, go on your way, but to be in receipt of a fixed penalty notice, that is breaking the law. Um, and and there is certainly a, a lot of history to that. Another historical first, going into May this time, uh, Sinn Féin becoming the largest party in Northern Ireland after those most recent Stormont elections. Although by the time you're listening to this, they may well not be the most recent Stormont elections because there are new ones just around the corner, as I recalled this um, in the last few days of 2022. Sinn Féin, um, long since been seen as sort of, well, they were formed as a political wing of the IRA. They've done a lot of work since then. And I think you can, you can now see that work paying off. They are a much louder voice than the SDLP the Social Democratic and Labour Party, who were, for a time, the voice of nationalism in Northern Ireland, but even they never got to be the largest party in the Northern Irish Assembly. And for the DUP, it really should be seen as a rejection of what they stand for in terms of Northern Irish politics. They have right royally uh, frittered away the, the, the natural advantage that they should have had under um, under unionism, their their response to Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol has clearly now started to turn people away, and that's what we see with the growth of the Alliance Party, a cross community group in Northern Ireland. People don't want to be defined by unionist and and nationalist anymore, or well, certain sections of people don't anymore, and it's worrying, or it should be worrying, for the DUP because they're going to be attacked from both sides now. There's traditional unionist voice, the TUV, who are becoming more of a threat. The Ulster Unionist Party, the almost traditional voice of unionism in Northern Ireland, the original voice of unionism in Northern Ireland, um, they are still there. And then you have Alliance eating into their sort of more moderate wing from, from the other side as well. So there are some troubling times ahead for the DUP, and we'll talk more about them later in the retrospective as we get down towards uh, the the real nitty-gritty of why Stormont, after having an election on May the 5th, basically hasn't sat since then. Uh, they've only been sitting for sort of pro-forma sessions and to try and elect a speaker or a presiding officer and a deputy speaker and to make sure that there actually is 
a First Minister and Deputy First Minister, because there still isn't in Northern Ireland right now, despite Sinn Féin winning that election and getting the right, which is why I said they are in the position of First Minister designate, uh, rather than First Minister. They haven't been able to take up the position of First Minister, because the Northern Irish Constitution, or the constitutional arrangement in Northern Ireland, rather, requires a cross-community assent, which is quite simply not able to be put into place whilst members of the unionist community refuse to vote alongside members of the nationalist community, which at the moment is is what is happening. Um, not to uh, sort of push America to one side, though, because that May the 2nd draft release of the Dobson versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, that was incendiary when it came out. I, I mean, we all knew that the Roe v. Wade decision was potentially more at risk now there was a, a 6-3 split on the Supreme Court after the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett back in 2020 following Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. But in terms of the language used in that draft decision, they, there were some quite inflammatory pieces there. Uh, Samuel Alito didn't hold back when he was writing that draft. And I think the the shock, first off, there being a leak from the Supreme Court, because you don't tend to get that on these major decisions. Chief Justice John Roberts tries to run quite a tight ship. And I know he was um, said to be sort of furious. Uh, there were veins almost popping out of his forehead, apparently, according to uh, some unconfirmed reports from staffers in the Supreme Court when it, it was revealed to him that actually, no, this is a, a leak that's come from inside the Supreme Court. And it's difficult to say whether that leak actually helped or hindered either side or whether it just made people who had got their names attached to that particular decision more entrenched in sticking with it. Maybe it was uh, a liberal staffer trying to release that and say, look, look, come on, get a, get out on the street, protest, and, and get yourselves out to outside the Supreme Court so that they can change their mind. Maybe it was a conservative staffer getting out and saying, look, this is what they're about to do. Show them your appreciation. Or, conversely, playing a bit of um, cynical thinking, a conservative staffer knowing it would have a reaction, but also knowing that if there was a reaction, they couldn't then be seen to change their votes on the back of public pressure because that then starts to completely undermine the fundamentals of an independent and neutral judicial system. So uh, a completely haphazard process. And again, I, I made a point of saying in the um, the retrospective bit there uh, that all five of those justices had called the Roe v. Wade decision settled law or some derivation of stare decisis, which should mean they weren't really going to touch it. However, this draft clearly says otherwise. Right then. Let's jump across to June. Almost a month it all comes crashing down for the Prime Minister, but lovers of political intrigue won't have long to wait for that particular recap. That aside, however, June is just as fiery as May, and April before that on the UK front. Short of an actual leadership coup anyway, June might be the month that actually had the most of an effect on the Johnson Premiership, especially the final week. Across the pond, don't think we've forgotten you. Still coming to grips with the events of nearly a year and a half ago, January the 6th. As well as that, events started moving backwards on the Eastern Front for Russia, especially around Kiev. 
the pronunciation of which I hope not to muddle this episode. I don't want anyone calling me a Russian lackey like they did the last time I got it wrong. June the 1st. After a meeting of the Standards in Public Life Committee, the chairing Lord Jonathan Evans criticised the Prime Minister, yep, still Johnson, and his proposal to change the ministerial code. Remember, that was only a few days ago. He called it highly unsatisfactory, and also said that if Lord Guite, Johnson's ethics adviser, was not allowed to scrutinise ministerial conduct independently, then suspicion about the way in which the ministerial code is administered will linger. Prescient. June the 2nd. Joe Biden calls for Congress to pass a federal ban on assault weapons, a high-capacity magazine ban, red flag laws, as well as other gun legislation. As predicted, the majority of this legislation barely makes a dent in either chamber, despite them both being democratic-controlled. June the 6th. Sir Graham Brady, chair of the 1922 Committee of Conservative Members of Parliament, announces that a vote of no confidence will take place this evening in the Prime Minister. A secret ballot is then held between 6 and 8pm before the result is announced. Whilst the 211 to 148 result in the Prime Minister's favour might seem like a victory, more than 40% of Johnson's own members of Parliament are now revealed to want a change of leader, although their names are not known. And let's not forget, Theresa May garnered a greater proportional level of support back in 2018. And just look how 2019 went for her. June 7th. A Washington, D.C. grand jury indicted five members of the Proud Boys on charges of seditious conspiracy regarding their actions on and before the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. I'm sure you're aware of the January 6th events, but this just shows the scars of that day run deep into the American psyche and still have their legal consequences through into 2022, and I'm sure into 2023. June 12th. 73 members of the Iraqi parliament resign, triggering a new wave of, well, the political instability in the Middle Eastern nation. All of those members were from Muqtada al-Sadr's bloc and were replaced by the council representatives after they hurriedly swore in people with ties to the coordination framework. Now, this was led by Nuri al-Maliki, the former prime minister. And this decision made his bloc the most powerful in the Iraqi parliament, although short of a majority. June 15th. Christopher Edward Wollaston Mackenzie Geit, Baron Geit, or the Lord Geit, Boris Johnson's independent ethics advisor, resigns. He had been the advisor on ministerial interests. His position had been considered tarnished by Chris Bryant, the MP for Ronda, with his involvement with Boris Johnson. Geit had appeared at the Parliamentary Committee just the day before his resignation. The Scotsman, calling the reason for his resignation, tasked to offer a view about the government's intention to consider measures which risk a deliberate and purposeful breach of the ministerial code. The official line, however, was that he had resigned over a row with the Prime Minister over trade policy. June 23rd. Wakefield, 
and Tiverton and Honiton hold their by-elections. Both of those seats have been held by Conservatives at the 2019 general election, but Labour won in Wakefield and the Liberal Democrats absolutely shocked the Tories in Tiverton and Honiton, overturning a massive Conservative majority after the resignation of Neil Parrish earlier in the year. Now, this makes me realise I haven't actually talked about the reason Wakefield had to hold a by-election, but given it was about the sexual abuse of a minor, I don't think that the perpetrator's name bears mentioning. One thing I will say, though, is that Crispin Blunt still stands up for the former Wakefield MP on media appearances every now and again, periodically retracting and then repeating his comments. Also on the 23rd, the Supreme Court of the United States releases their opinion in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association Incorporated versus Brune, 2022. I'm not going to repeat the name of that legal case, stating that New York's law requiring those requesting an unrestricted license to carry a concealed pistol in the state of New York to provide a proper cause is unconstitutional. Yep, they won't even let you request a proper cause on a form to have an unrestricted concealed carry of a pistol. In a 6-3 decision, the court ruled it contravenes the Second Amendment. The very next day, the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case was officially decided by the Supreme Court. Writing for the majority, Justice Alito was joined by Justices Thomas, Kavanaugh, Barrett and Gorsuch, with both Thomas and Kavanaugh writing concurrences as well, in overturning Roe versus Wade. That's the SCOTUS decision from 1973, which granted the federal right to an abortion. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote a concurrence in judgment, but stopped short of joining the majority, whereas Justices Breyer, in one of his final acts on the Supreme Court, Sotomayor and Kagan, wrote dissents. The decision was greeted with jubilation and abhorrence across the United States and around the world. Some called it the biggest victory for life in generations, others the biggest setback in women's rights in a century. Leading Republicans applauded the decision, whereas some Democrats immediately turned to the question of how do we change the Supreme Court so that this can't happen again. In Clarence Thomas's concurrence, he name-dropped Obergefell versus Hodges as another Supreme Court precedent that was based on flawed law and could do with amendment. And this shook the LGBT community deeply because Obergefell versus Hodges is the law that granted the right for same-sex marriage in the United States. Protests and counter-protests ensued, but the decision was made. Roe is no longer the law of the land. The US now lives under Dobbs versus Jackson. Just for context, 13 states immediately enacted anti-abortion trigger laws. June 25th. Despite the by-election losses of two days earlier, Boris Johnson is reported to be thinking actively about fighting the next two general elections. If he did that and won, he'd become the UK's longest-serving post-war Prime Minister. June 27th. It might seem minor, but the Conduct of Employment Agencies and Employment Businesses, brackets, Amendment, Regulations 2022, 
and liability of trade unions in proceedings in tort brackets increase of limits on damages brackets order 2022 are brought before the commons on this day. These aren't particularly union-friendly pieces of legislation, so bear that in mind once we get to later on in the year, as one of those bills makes it possible to hire agency workers to replace striking workers. Or if you're of that persuasion, you could call them external scab workers. But I wouldn't. June 28th. Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon reveals the Scottish Independence Referendum Bill, which proposes October the 19th 2023 as the date for a second referendum on Scottish independence. June 30th. After a moment of madness where he had drank far too much, Conservative MP for Tamworth, Chris Pincher, resigns as the Conservatives' Deputy Chief Whip. The previous evening, there had been an incident at the Carlton Club in which it was alleged Pincher sexually assaulted two men. Radio silence from Downing Street. And that's June. Crikey, what a month. On both sides of the Atlantic. Um, And I even managed to sneak in a little bit about the Iraqi parliament there. Um, But just to run down those highlights again, or lowlights, depending on how you see about it, we have that vote of no confidence in Boris Johnson. He survives it. 211 MPs back him. Admittedly, yeah. He, has a, he suffers a worse proportional result than Theresa May back in 2018, but still, 211 MPs, that's enough. And I mean, even then, out of the 148, some of them immediately said, look, we've had the vote, he's still Prime Minister, I will now go back to working for Boris Johnson. So there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, potentially more damaging was the resignation of Lord Guite on the 15th, which then starts to question standards in in public office. Um, In the UK side of things, June 23rd, what a monumental day with Wakefield and Tiverton and Honiton's by-elections. Two Conservative seats flipping, one of them massively so. Tiverton and Honiton was a strong Conservative seat back in 2019 and took a Liberal Democrat. I mean, if that swing happened across the country, I think we'd be looking at... um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Liberal Democrat seats. Now, of course, that's unrealistic, but it just shows how much of a diversion from what we've seen previously this Tiverton Honiton result was. And then, just to wrap up the UK side of things, Chris Pincher. Now, that's a name we're going to keep, keep, keep coming back to um, over the next month or so, because it's going to be this scandal that precipitates rats leaving a sinking ship in in the next set of of issues for the Prime Minister. On the American side of things, um, uh, the horrible shooting in in Uvalde, Texas, or back in in May, you end up with those those gun control reforms trying to go through the Houses of Congress. Now, some limited ones do make it through. Perhaps I was slightly um, overzealous with saying that neither bits of legislation make a dent, but they're not what was promised, they're not what was asked for, and really it's, it's it says a lot. And then to, to go back down to, weirdly, June 23rd as well, that um, gun reform or gun control case really uh, sort of showing 
the, the level to which the Second Amendment is protected in the United States. Of course, the, the bigger decision was the very next day, on the 24th, uh, with the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization decision. Wow, what a decision. It's it's it's, it's powerfully written, I'll give them that, the, the justices who, who wrote the, the, um, the majority and concurrence opinions. I must admit, having taken the time to read through a, a couple of them, um, Clarence Thomas makes some dangerous comparisons. I mentioned Obergefell versus Hodges in my little synopsis there, but uh, Chief Justice John Roberts actually made some very sort of well-reasoned and, and well-thought-out points um, and would have also stopped short of, of overturning Roe v. Wade, which might have been a, a middle ground. But of course, the law isn't isn't settled on middle grounds. It's settled on majority uh, and dissenting opinions. So that's that's where people stand. Um, a massive, massive month. Massive month. Lots to unpack. But hopefully, there we go. Uh, hopefully, it's it's been done all right on this little podcast. Right, that is your lot for these three months, and that means we made it to halfway through the year and the end of part two of the retrospective. It occurs to me I've taken on quite a bit of work here and taken quite a bit of time trying to condense everything down into four episodes and trying to do absolutely everything. So, as much as it pains me to say, these episodes won't all be ready for New Year's Day. They will, however, all be done before the 7th of January, including a New Year prediction special, which may or may not feature some familiar voices as guests, so do stay tuned. All that remains for me to say is please go find our website www.politicsunboxpodcast.wordpress.com for all of our information. Check out our social media from Facebook, search for Politics Unboxed, on Twitter, at PoliticsU, that's the letter U, and on Instagram, at politics.unboxed, or just email in at politics.unboxed at outlook.com. Thank you, as ever, for listening. I do hope to see you around very soon for the next episode of the Politics Unboxed podcast. But until then, goodbye.